0: You are listening to the Ingredients for Success podcast, where you can consume dietary supplement industry best practices, trends, recent news, and other insights provided through interviews and discussions with members of the Stratum team and seasoned industry execs. Welcome back to the Ingredients for Success podcast. I am Jackie Rizzo, and today we have Dr. Felicia Stoller joining us. I am going to go ahead and just read her amazing biography because we need to hear all of this. She's amazing. Dr. Felicia Stoller is a registered dietitian-nutritionist, exercise physiologist. She has a bachelor's from Tulane University, a master's in applied physiology and nutrition from Columbia University, and doctorate in clinical nutrition from Rutgers University. Felicia serves on many local, state, and national committees related to health and wellness. Felicia is fellow of the American College of Sports Medicine, a fellow of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, a diplomat in lifestyle medicine, and a council member of the True Health Initiative. Dr. Stoller hosted the second season of TLC's groundbreaking series, Honey, We're Killing the Kids, and the author of Living Skinny in Fat Jeans, The Healthy Way to Lose Weight and Feel Great. She has been a contributor for foxnews.com, thepatch.com, active.com, and written several book chapters. Stoller authored ACSM's Sports Medicine Basics on Childhood Obesity. Felicia is one of the most sought-after nutrition fitness experts for TV, radio, newspapers, online, and magazines in the U.S. She is passionate about helping people live healthier lives. From college professor to public speaker, influencer, U.S. congressional candidate, residing in Holmdel, New Jersey. Welcome, Felicia. It is such an honor to have you with us today.
1: My pleasure, thank you for having me.
0: Felicia, so you serve on one of the committees that I had just read was, is the True Health Initiative. I would love to more learn more about what that is and why you decided to align with this specific organization.
1: Well, Dr. David Katz started this organization and he thought it was a really great way to bring a lot of thought leaders together in the area of health and wellness. And we all share uh, a common thread that we want to see evidence-based information in the media that we want to advocate best practices to help people live more healthful lives so i think you know that's what it's about it like what's the truth around health because there's so much misinformation that's available in the media and by media i also mean the internet too you know and there are people from all different walks of academia you know and and um and professional organizations and and professions so you've got physicians you've got dietitians You have like a whole host of other people that are involved in this initiative and we're all there to help support and promote and advocate, you know, sort of, it's really like the tenets of lifestyle medicine.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for explaining that I was interested in it because it is really about getting the education to the consumer but getting the right education to them so like you said in the media there are all these outlets and people saying different things and so we do need organizations like the true health initiative and also um are you familiar with the council of responsible nutrition they go by crn as well no i'm not no yeah well um they kind of keep our industry in line um making sure that we are definitely um saying what we need to say and to educate the consumers. Now in your book, I'd love to talk about your book for a little bit. Um, Sure. Yeah, I I just, I have found it pretty fascinating. Um, You talk a lot about, you know, it's not just about the diet, it's about our lifestyle and just the rewiring of our brain. Um, I'd love to hear more about why you decided to write this book and just the journey through it
1: yeah so you know to me writing a book was you know I, I just hosted a tv show and i feel like for all the years i've also been doing private practice a book would be a really wonderful way to ultimately have more people exposed to what goes on in my private practice um i feel like i repeat the same things over and over again when i have individual sessions or when i give talks to consumers it's different when i'm educating my peers that's usually something different but. You know, when I'm educating consumers and, you know, I do work site wellness, too, I feel like I'm over and over. It's the same thing, which means that we as a society are not doing a good job of educating people about health from a young age. And so, you know, I was trying to come up with a cute name. And, you know, so often people talk about blaming their genes for why they're overweight or why they're unhealthy. And even as we progress, I mean, that book is almost 10 years old now. So there are some things I would do a little different, which I'm happy to talk about, but the basic premise of it is that don't blame your genes, right? Like we could all sit and complain about our genetics. But what we know is that the environment that we live in. And I, I, I don't mean like climate environment, like everything that is an input into our body for our whole lifetime affects our health. You know, unfortunately, so many people wait until they're sick to do something about their health, you know, or they just, it's very easy to blame their genetics. And that's just not the answer, you know, and even with all this genetic testing that's out there and some of the nutrigenomics, when it was first being introduced, you know, the one thing I would always like, you know, raise my hand or ask a question about that we, we even with all the, all this, you know, newer science around nutrigenomics is, how do you get people to change their preferences, right? How do you get people to change the way they've been raised or what their beliefs are? Like, it doesn't matter if I tell you that your genes say you need to eat a certain class of foods more than another class of foods or certain vegetables. If I tell you, you eat certain vegetables and you're allergic to it or you just absolutely hate the taste of it, what's the point of it, right? Like, mm-hmm. are you that scared enough for your health to not do that? But I look at my family, I grew up... With, I mean, and I say this meaning like I wrote this book and I talk about this in my book that I grew up in a family of fat people and um, I didn't wanna be that. And then, you know, fast forward when 23andMe came out with genetic testing beyond like, where's my family from? And I did the, the whole full blown medical testing. When I got my results back, I emailed it to all my family and, and some cousins and aunts and uncles. And I said, uh, breaking news folks, like all the diseases that my grandparents died from and other people died from, they're not in our genes. It's about lifestyle. So stop saying like, you know, and, and even clinicians, we ask people questions about, did somebody in your family have diabetes? Did they have heart disease? Do they have? And you rattle up all this stuff. And then it's like, okay, did they smoke? Did they drink? Did they eat a high fat diet? Did they ever have fruits and vegetables? Did they ever exercise? Like I have a great aunt that lived to be 103 and a half years old. She used to do square dancing until she was, I mean, just like she's like the only person lived past 90, but she used to do square dancing until she was in her 90s, you know? And I think like now, like that had a lot to do with it, you know? Like you can be young at heart, you can be youthful, but it's the accumulation effect. It's the accumulation of everything that goes on in your life that gets you to this place of, you know, how are you going to live your life in the long term? Is it, are you going to be, have vitality, you know, are you going to be resilient? And I don't just mean mentally, but mentally too, but physically resilient, you know, look what COVID did to everybody this past, you know, year and a half, right? Like we know that there are comorbidities with certain diseases that made people more at risk for actually dying from COVID. And how devastating is that, you know? And Mm -hmm. I've always told my children, Food and physical activity is not just about what you look like on the outside. It's what's on the inside. It's the stuff that we can't see and, you know, banking on a return on investment of of life. So that's why, you know, when I wrote my book, I talk a lot about food choices. I talk about what other places in the world do with their food. You know, most places in the world eat mostly plant-based with small amounts of animal source protein. People always think they need more protein, more protein, more protein. Protein energy malnutrition hasn't been a problem since like the 70s, like, and I mean, early 70s. You know, I would actually argue that we're over consuming protein, not getting enough, you know, fruits and vegetables. I mean, when they look at the data on food consumption, people aren't eating plants.
0: That is. And you are, you are spot on, we are, we are not. And you know you talked about even with your children and breaking that cycle from the way you grew up and not yeah. having it, it continue on. And my husband and I are the very same way. We grew up in the 80s, you know, and so he says we're processed babies. And trying to break that and make it different, it is, it is hard, but it also is so good to know that it can be broken and that our children can actually live a healthier lifestyle than what we did and how our parents raised us. And as we tend to get older, we do start thinking more about healthy aging and living without medication. Do you have any recommendations for um, women who are possibly in their 40s and just starting an exercise routine right now? Because healthy aging is about diet, as you had said, and then exercise as well. Do you have any recommendations for women?
1: And it's also sleep and stress management. right like so I I don't want to you know let's not leave that out like I feel like there's so much as part of that equation and that's why I was so thrilled when the American College of Lifestyle Medicine sort of formed and they did a board certification in Lifestyle Medicine I was the very first cohort to take their their you know do their protocol and take their board certification and pass and Mm -hmm. um, it just felt like I was able to blend like my nutrition training with my exercise science training and like Bring it all together in a way that just really it made sense. So, um, so first of all, like for women in their forties, I, I mean, there's different components of exercise to actually think about. So, you know, there's cardiorespiratory exercise or cardio. You know, people to aerobic exercise. Right, that's rhythmic exercise that gets your heart rate up and going. And then there's strength training where you're actually, you know, using some type of resistance, whether it's your own body weight or other, you know, it could be weights, it could be things around your house uh, to create resistance to help strengthen your muscles. Um, and and then there's also stretching, which I think people forget about. And and rest is another important component of exercise too. And I think you know, look, and I say this knowing that i've been exercising since i'm like 15 years old so i'm a freak like i liked i made my mom like drive me to the gym right like and i you know the aerobics and all that stuff but um as i've gotten older you know and i counsel people and i talk to people all the time I'm like you have to think about exercise like the way you think about any other grooming or hygiene you know you brush your teeth you brush your hair you take a shower you eat food you go to sleep exercise needs to be in your schedule so the most important thing is put it in your schedule and if it feels like it's daunting you know start with you know once a week then can you go to twice a week and Literally put it in your calendar because if you don't schedule it in like on Sunday nights, I like sit and I schedule out my exercise, but I'm pretty set in a good schedule right now. So it's easy for me to do. But I remember when my kids were little, it was very hard for me to get, you know, a lot of that exercise in and I use the E word and I should really be using the word physical activity because it all counts. Right. So if you're running around after your kids. Um, And they're at a playground, like, can you do stuff on the playground? Like, I don't know the last time you ever went on a swing and pumped your legs and tried to swing, but that's a great leg workout, you know, Mm -hmm. holding yourself up and pumping your legs and using your core. Like, that's great. Like I was on a sailboat last night. I haven't been on a sailboat in 35 years. And the other lady on the boat, like we're the only two ladies on the boat. And she does this all the time and i said this was a great workout she's like what do you mean i go what do you mean what do i mean like she didn't even understand how the movements she was doing right and the things that we were doing on the boat was all exercise and she just thought she was just tired because she was tired because she worked she's a lawyer and she like worked the whole day and i'm like no it's physically active right like you're doing that or doing gardening like i do my own yard work because that's another way to get extra exercise in so or things that we do around the house if you're cleaning like that counts as physical activity so i don't want people to think like it has to hurt you have to be sweating like a beast and you have to be like so fatigued afterwards that you can't do anything else because that's not the way it is and in fact in my doctoral research i had people um in a in a worksite wellness setting that couldn't really do formal exercise getting up and doing five minutes every hour that they were at work and they would accumulate 40 minutes over the course of a day so if it means going for a walk for 5 minutes if it means you know taking a break at your desk and filling up a bag and like doing bicep curls or doing lunges or you know getting on the phone and doing something like do something but exercise needs to have everything involved like i often hear people the biggest mistake that people make at any age is they say well if they feel like first of all they're overweight well, when they want to do like cardio only they don't want to do weight training and and they're like well when i lose weight then i'll start doing that i'm like no actually you need to do the resistance exercise because a it's going to make your muscles tone and then the circumference of your limbs is going to be smaller so how cool is that right you're gonna look thinner you're gonna look trimmer you know you're gonna be stronger so that's why you do it like people get in these buckets like am i gonna put cardio here. I'm going to put weight training here. It's like, I'll do this when. No, you need to do it all. You need to, and that's why I'm a huge advocate for yoga. I've been doing yoga for 18 years and yoga is not just about oming. I don't do meditative yoga. I can't meditate. I'm working on it. That's on my list of things to try to learn how to do this summer because my brain's always going, but Um, I do it because I think about the stretching and the strengthening and proprioception, which is among the most important things that we need to do. And, and balance training is something that people forget to do. And you hear about people when they get in their sixties and seventies and eighties and nineties that they fall and they break their hip. And Mm -hmm. very often there's a high statistical, uh, correlation with people that break their hips and die within a year. Right. So and I, and I was just came back from Florida from seeing my parents and watching them aging. I, I'm sure they're never going to listen to this, but um, it's it broke my heart because I've been preaching for 20 years this stuff and nobody was listening to me. And now I'm watching the, you know, this accumulation effect with my parents. And let's just say it. My 23 year old daughter had said, called me up and said, Mom, I worked out four days last week. You'd be really proud of me. <laughs> You know, cause she's like, I just hate it. I said, well, I, I'm sorry. Just, you're gonna have to just find something that you like to do. You used to like to dance. I don't care what it is, but you need to do something.
0: To get you out to be active, and yeah. Learn
1: to, and learn how to do things safely. That's another important thing. Um, I, I, I have a hard time when I go to the gym watching people exercise wrong on equipment. <laughs> I used to teach trainers how to be trainers. So when I see people doing things wrong, it just like screams injury to me so you know what i want women to do is i want women to get out and do physical activity if they're doing formal exercise training it is more important to do something in the correct form so that you don't injure yourself more so than anything else and you always increase weights and you always we call it the fit principle you change the frequency intensity or time the amount of time you're exercising the amounts of time per week that you're doing it and it changes your exercise. If you do the same thing over and over again, then you your body adapts and then it's not that it's not good, but then you're not progressing.
0: That is so true. I like that you hit on the safety aspect of it because the number one deterrent for, especially with women, is, is pain, is injury. And so we do, I like that you brought focus to that. Also, when, as we age as women, you know, we go through hormones, which is such a beautiful process. <laughs>
1: Oh, I am totally like out <laughs> of menopause right now, so I can talk all about that.
0: You can, yes. I, I mean, yeah, I would love to hear what you have to, your thoughts on just the cartilage degradation and all, how that happens through that postmenopausal stage of life for women.
1: Well, it's, it's bone density, it's mm-hmm. cartilage. I mean, we lose muscle mass too. I mean, that's why strength training is so important Uh, because it helps with bone density, it helps to maintain muscle mass, which is important because if your cartilage is going to start deteriorating, the truth is your muscles have to do, have to do the work. And so like we, when, when our muscles aren't strong, then we rely more on our joints, right? And our cartilage and our tendons and like everything needs to be used. It's like, it's a use it or lose it principle. And that's where nutrition comes into it too, because it's what you take in and I'm a huge advocate of supplementation just because, you know, there is no way I could get, and I like, I call it like clinically relevant or clinically significant levels of nutrients that are going to help me with aging Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and whether it be preventing disease or preventing illness or preventing, you know, deterioration, which is just natural from aging, you know, or, or picking up an inadequacies in the diet. I mean, I'm not a tall lady and I work out a lot. I don't need a lot of calories in a day. So the volume of food I'd have to eat to get all the nutrients that I get in my supplements is just, I I couldn't do it. I'd be, I'd be obese.
0: So what would you say your top five supplements would be, or your recommendations would be to anyone listening to this podcast?
1: Well, um, I would say, first of all, a good multivitamin is really important. Um, I think calcium is incredibly important. Fish oil is very important. I know that you guys have your eggshell membrane product, and I think that that's equally as important too. And then, you know, the one other thing I would add in, believe it or not, is um, a prebiotic fiber, because people are so consumed with taking probiotics that they forget the importance of taking prebiotic fiber most Americans don't have adequate fiber in their diet. And the recommendation is over 30 grams of fiber per day, most people get less than 10. So um, I think that recognizing that the value of fiber, because the probiotics that go in, they need to be fed food. And that's where the prebiotic fiber comes in. And the analogy that I give is that if you just take probiotics without any prebiotic fiber, it's like throwing seeds that you would put in the ground on a glass table, without mm-hmm. dirt, without nitrogen, without water, without sunshine and expecting them to just do something.
0: Yeah, definitely. I do appreciate that with prebiotics, we do, I wholeheartedly agree. And then um, it's what our postbiotics need to, to feed on. And then right. even the waste from the probiotics is what's now starting to trend and that is postbiotics. Um, which we had discussed earlier that we have a postbiotic now on hand. And it has been incredible just to see that process that, well, we have those two prebiotics and probiotics, but don't forget about the waste of the probiotics because it, that postbiotic is wonderful for a digestive health. And so that's been very encouraging. Thank you, thank you for that. Well, Dr. Stoller, it has been such an honor to have you on today. Thank you, you've given us so much information. Anna, we just really appreciate having you on. You're very welcome. Thank you.